There was a uh, man walking down the road one day, and he passed by a bunch of bricklayers. And as he was walking by these bricklayers, he stopped and he asked one of them, and he said, hey, man, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm laying brick. I'm laying brick. He stopped by the next one. He said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a wall. That second man said, yeah, I'm building a wall. See my nice wall? I've got it started over here. I'm working my way up. And he stopped by the next bricklayer, the last bricklayer, and he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a cathedral. I'm building a cathedral. Because it is all about perspective. It is all about perspective. See, only one of the three really had a calling. The one had a job. The one had a career. The other one had a calling. He knew what he was building. He understood what he was doing. It reminds me of JFK. Whenever JFK uh, was in the uh, space race, I'll never forget it. I remember reading this article, and I thought, how revolutionary is that? And he was touring NASA. He was looking around. He was talking to them that we wanted to be the first to put a man on the moon. And he was walking through NASA's facility, and there was a custodian there. And he asked the custodian, he said, what do you do here? And the custodian looked at him, and he says, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. See how powerful that is. Even though the custodian was there probably cleaning up trash, even though he was mopping hallways, even though he was doing the smallest of things, you would probably think on the payroll, you probably think from a perspective of everyone else, you probably think he's not contributing, but for him, he took it personally that he was helping put a man on the moon. And it just goes to show you no matter what you do, no matter what area of life you're operating in, that at the end of the day, it is all about perspective. It is all about looking at things, hey, what am I really doing? Do I have a job? Do I have a career? Do I have a calling? What am I really, really doing? I love Psalms 127 because it opens up and it says, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. It is only God who builds things. You know, in our technologically advanced age, we oftentimes forget that, but it is only God who can do certain things. It is only God who can do certain things. At the end of the day, you can do everything right and things still not pan out for you. At the end of the day, you can never smoke a cigarette and still get cancer. I mean, it is crazy these days we live in, but we are oftentimes reminded how fragile our existence is in the light of everything we cannot control. Because you can't control hardly anything. It's a miracle you got here today. You got in a car, you drove here, and maybe you're like me, you risked your life on I-24, amen? And, uh, you know, you got here today, but it is a miracle that you got here today because at the end of the day, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. I love that second verse there. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays in, up in vain. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't put a guard that doesn't mean we shouldn't lock our doors. Some of y'all thinking, if the Lord wants them to break in, they're going to break in. Leave the door open for them. I'm not saying you put out cookies in. Thanks for robbing us. Amen. I'm not saying you do any of those things. There's some common sense we should have. But I want you to understand context here. Context, context, context. Remember Psalm 127. If you look below Psalm 127, it should say a psalm of the ascent, and it should have Solomon's name attached to it. A psalm of the ascent of Solomon. Now, if you don't know who Solomon is, Solomon is the son of David. He is the one who is, by all due respect, the wisest man in the Bible outside of Jesus, right? He was the one who God came to him in a vision and told him he would give him anything. And what did Solomon say? Solomon said, I want wisdom. I want wisdom to be able to help your people. I want wisdom to be able to do what you've called me to do to be the best king I possibly can be. And if you don't know much about Solomon, he was a man with extravagant wealth. He was a man who was very, very strategic in architecture. It's said that the golden age of, as far as building and structure was during the reign of Solomon. 
Now, dynasty and conquest was during the reign of David, where they had more land they ever had, they had more occupancy, they had a more strong military force. But if you were to look as far as wealth and as far as building and as far as architecture, if you were to look at the picture of Solomon compared to the picture of David, Solomon dwarfed his father in that regard. Solomon built massive gardens. He built houses. He built even the very temple of God, which the Jews themselves still marvel at to this day to think about the amount of work and effort he put into that. The wisdom of Solomon is a classic phrase we use in our culture today. And so whenever it says here these words, you've got to think about that. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I know some of you feel real confident. I got someone to protect my house that's in the cabinet, Pastor Nick. Let me tell you something. A gun can't protect you from evil. I want to say that to you very, very, and, I, and I'm very, very cautious there, but I want you to understand that. Because there are certain things that you cannot protect your family from. There are evils out there. There are things out there that only the Lord can take care of. There are things out there that only the Lord can take care of. And you think about the gravity of that, you think about the reality of Israel. You think about how last week we talked about rebuilding the temple. You think about, we talked about reform with Zerubbabel, and we talked about, you know, we talked about Ezra, we talked about Nehemiah, we talked about building the walls, we talked about all that last week. You think about how they built all those things, but at the end of the day, they were still surrounded by enemies on all sides. And so it didn't matter how tall the walls were, unless the Lord watched over them, the walls didn't matter. It didn't matter how many guards they placed unless the Lord watched over them. It didn't matter. But here's the thing. Here's what they had faith in. Here's what made them go to sleep at night. Here's what gave them really, really ease whenever they laid down at night. They were doing things God's way. They were doing things God's way. And God says, if you do things my way, then I'll watch over you. I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. Because to be with the Lord surrounded by enemies is to be safer than to be by yourself surrounded by friends. Think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute, because that is the truth. It is the Lord's presence that guarantees safety through any passage. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, amen, top 10 baby names of 2022. Uh, I reminded that they even told Nebuchadnezzar, they said, Nebuchadnezzar, God can take care of us, but even if he doesn't, it's still going to be okay. And God did not remove them from the fire, but he joined them in the fire, and that changed the fire. And oftentimes we forget simple Bible stories like that. And I've got another Bible story for you. The Tower of Babel, amen? The Tower of Babel, you think about the Tower of Babel, you think about Genesis chapter 11. This is after, this is, you know, way, way back in the day. This is way, way back in the day whenever, uh, you know, the earth was still young, you could say. This is way back in the day, way before even Kenneth was born, amen. It's a long time ago in a long, in a galaxy far, far away, amen. This is the intro to the Word of God. And you hear this there, and you hear in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, let's look what it says here. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and put man for order. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves." lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And look what it says there, verse number 5. Understand this. Look what, he's, look what the author, look what Moses is doing here. They build the tallest tower they possibly can. They are building this thing as high as they possibly can. But look what verse number, seven, verse number 5 says. 
and the Lord came down. I want you to think about that. Think about how that, listen, they go as high as they can, and the Bible says, the Lord came down. Think, think about the, 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 the visual effects there that the author's trying to get you to understand. No matter how high we climb, God's always stepping down to our level. So he does that very beautifully. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is the only beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do is now impossible for them. Come, look at this. This is the first mention. This is one of the first mentions of the Trinity in the Bible, as far as you can tell from the language. Verse number seven. Come, let us. Plurality there, right? You've got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not all understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from all over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the languages of the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. He dispersed them. If you've ever failed a Spanish test, this is where it started, amen? Let me take that back. If you've ever cheated in Spanish, amen? This is where it all started. Because you think about the gravity of it. Think about how everybody communicated and was able to talk and understand one another. And if you've never been around somebody who speaks a different language than you, you've never felt like you were ignorant. Amen? Because let me promise you, I've been to multiple countries where I did not know the language and they did not understand me, and it is extremely frustrating. You better know how to say toilet. Amen? You better know how to say toilet. You better know how to say all kinds of things. Why? Because there's a language barrier. You are helpless. You say something to them, they have no idea what you're saying. You try to draw a picture, you try to do everything, and you are literally helpless. And that's what fascinates me about an interpreter, because an interpreter can hear one language in one ear. It goes in their brain and comes out your language with their mouth, amen? And then they hear English in another ear, and it comes out their language in their native tongue in the other side. That is just amazing to me. It is amazing how their brain can flip back and forth and go from language. Well, here's the question I want to ask you. What language do they think in? That's the kind of stuff keeps me up at night, amen. <laughs> what language do they think in? You know, because everybody does, you think in your language. And think about how all that stems from right here. All that, all the languages around the earth, all the people groups we have that represent all those languages comes from this moment because we tried to make a name for ourselves. How much trouble you get into in life when you try to make a name for yourself? How pride always comes. I mean, how fall, the fall always cometh after pride. There's always a fall that comes. And you think about how the fall here was the languages fail. Many historians think this is one of the first ever mentions, first ever talking about Babylon, this whole theme of Babylon throughout the Bible. If you did not know, Babylon was the Babylonians, by all due respect, as far as a people group, and as far as geographical location, the city of Babylon, you could say. But Babylon, through the entire work of Scripture, is this anti-God culture. You could even say, based on our culture here in the States, we are becoming more like Babylon than anything else. Because Babylon is this idea that we want the blessings of God without the authority of God, and we don't want God. If he was asking me, that is our culture these days. We want the blessing of God without the authority of God and without the word of God and without God himself. We don't need God these days. That's what our culture says. 
We don't need your ancient book. We don't need your ancient ways. We don't need tradition. Let me tell you, burn the books, burn everything. If you always do a lot of history, you're thinking about it, things, it sounds like we are not too far off from where we were in the past and other places around the world. Professing to be wise, what did they do? They became fools. They became fools because they sought to make a name for themselves. Once again, it's saying we don't need God. We can do what we want. We can build our cities. We can watch over our walls. We don't need God. If you think about it, there is a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that in our culture saying we don't need God because it's everywhere you see. They say it all the time. They say it all the time. Used to, you had to go outside and look what the weather was. Now you can look on your phone and know when it's going to rain, when it's not going to rain. Used to, you could have to wait and wait and wait and be patient and be patient to get crops, but now you can go to the store right now and get avocados from Mexico, even when it's not even season. Our lives used to be controlled by the weather. It used to be controlled by the seasons. There was a rhythm and a flow to life. You went to bed when the sun went down. Well, actually, you didn't have light hardly. Now, I'm not saying we should go break an Amish, amen. But I am saying this, there is a lot of rhythm of the old ways that the new ways have forgotten, and we've lost some of the old truth. Because used to, we would have a lot more faith in God than we have these days. My point number one, uh, I'm way ahead of myself, amen. Work does not equal worth. Work does not equal worth. They were trying to make a name for themselves, thinking that will make us worthy. I want to promise you, ladies and gentlemen, it's not your work that makes you worthy. It's that you bear the image of God that makes you worthy. And you bear the image of God because you are supposed to be God's ambassador. You're supposed to be God's viceroy. You are supposed to be representing God everywhere you go. So when people see you, they understand that person carries about themselves like they would hope that Jesus would act. That's where the term Christian comes from, if you did not know. They act like little Christ. It was meant as an insult to the people of Antioch, but they took a personal thing. No, we wear that with a badge of honor because we want to act like Jesus as much as we can. So we wear that call to serve shirt. We are to be quick to serve. We have shirts on that say certain things. Like yesterday I wore a shirt from Cross and says, you know, I exist to share the gospel. And believe it or not, Emily kind of implored me, hey, you should go do something for that person. And I thought, no, oh, we're running late, I don't have time. She said, no, you, you should go do that. And the first thing I thought, I'm wearing a shirt that has the gospel on the back and I'm not ready to serve people. So we should quickly be reminded, hey, we are called to serve. We are called to give. We should quickly be reminded we are supposed to be image bearers of God. We're supposed to act like him the best we can. Because our work does not equal our worth. Our worth comes from Christ himself. But it's because our worth comes from Christ that our employer us to work. Do you, people get the equation all out of whack. They think that works comes before salvation. And that's not what the Bible says, works come after salvation. It is because of a great change that we have been changed. It is because of what Christ has done, we now do for others. It is because of all that stuff. Well, like I said a couple weeks ago, many people don't understand this, but it is the truth of the gospel. We are saved by works. The works are just not yours. And the works are just not mine. The works are Jesus' works. Because he's the only one that could pay the debt. So let's look at the next verse there, verse number two. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil that he gives. But anxious toil, for he gives rest to his, I mean, he gives his beloved sleep. He gives his beloved sleep. 
So you think about how there's many people who they get up before the sun rises and they go to bed way after the uh, sun goes down and you work 14, 15, 16 hours a week. And I want to promise you that you would probably fit this description here. It is in vain that you work your hands to the bone. It is in vain you do all these things understanding that guess what? There has to be a limit. There has to be a limit. If many of you did not know, there's a reason why there's 40 hours a week that we're expected to work. Because after 40 hours a week, you know what happens? You get into territory of even 50 plus. You get above 50 plus. Injuries skyrocket. If you did not know this, look it up. I'm talking about on a workplace demographic, you were to do a study. When you go above 40 and 50 hours a week, injuries skyrocket. Why? Because people are not operating to the best they possibly can. Because you don't have rest. And there are other people that, well, you don't understand, I've got to work seven hours a week. I mean, I've got to work seven days a week. I've got to work, I've got to work, I've got to work. And I want to remind you this humbling fact, ladies and gentlemen, you're not God. And I'm not God. We need sleep. We need rest. We need a time to lay our heads down and not think about anything else and to shut our phone down and go to work when we get home. Because here's the reality. You're robbing your family by thinking, I'm going to earn more money but come home and be an absent father. No, your family would much rather you make less money and be a present dad. I'm telling you, the reality of it is we were not made to run ourselves into the ground. How do I know this? This is why the Sabbath was given to us. It was given to us as a gift. And there might be many people thinking, Pastor Nick, you don't understand, it's a commandment. No, it's before the commandments. If you do a lesson in the Old Testament, you understand the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath predates even that. The Sabbath was the rule God gave to Adam and Eve before they even had any other hardly rules. He said what? On the seventh day, you need to rest. You need to rest what I've done. You take time to enjoy your labor. Take a day off. You might think, I've got to get it done. I've got to get it done. You think you can stop time when we can't. It can wait. Whatever it is, it can wait. But we don't like being told that. We don't like being told it can wait because we think I've got to do it, I've got to do it, I've got to do it, I've got to do it. And we are running around on stress and cortisol levels through the roof and we're angry and bitter with everybody we meet because we're exhausted. Because we're exhausted. And it is in vain that we work and work and work and work eating the bread of anxious toil. Eating that bread. Sometimes I pride myself because I can go several hours in the morning not eating breakfast. And after doing some research, I found out that it's actually not really good. Why? Because my body's running on stress. It's not running on, nutri- nu- it's not running on nutritious, dense food. It's running on stress. Man, that's why my hair is so thin, amen? Because there are certain things that are true that God knows better than we do. Because you've got to rest. You've got to rest. Point number two, y'all better write this down in your handy-dandy journal, amen. You work hard, you play hard, you rest hard. You work really, really hard. Those 40 hours, those 50 hours, guess what? We bust our butts. We do the most we ever can. And let me tell you something. There's several of you, I'm, I'm just preaching to the masses here. You might think stealing's wrong, but you're robbing your employer when you don't work hard. Let me tell you something. If you're getting paid to do a job, do your job. From the time you, you might be like, well, it's 8.05, I got 10 more minutes, I got to be in there. No, you're supposed to be there at 8. 
Be there at 8, bust your butt till it's time to go home. Don't walk out 10 minutes early. Say, oh, no, I'm telling you, bust your butt. You want to know how you succeed in a job? You work hard, keep your mouth shut, and do what your boss asks you to do. You'll succeed because nobody else is doing that. Nobody else is doing that. So put your phone down do the job. Work extremely hard. You know what happens if you work hard these days? People will hate you. People get mad at you for doing your job. You're a brown nose. No, I'm an employee. But you've got to bust your butts. You put in 40, 50 hours a week. Guys, you ought to work so hard that when people leave, they miss you. Not they say, goodbye, God bless you, <laughs> go and be with God. No, it ought to be painful when you're not there. Like, everyone knows, man, I wish you had been here. Why? Because they know you're going to get stuff done. So for 40, 50 hours, we bust our tail. You know how I know Donnie's a good employee? He can't keep help. Because he trains them so good, they go somewhere else. You think I'm lying, but he probably thinks, man, I hate it. It's a good thing. Why? Because he's doing his job well. Kenneth can, rub a, can run a shovel better than he may not know. He can tell you, man, I can work my way around a shovel. He, he can do all kinds of other things, but guess what? He's not too big. He don't get down the ditch and dig, help those guys with a shovel. Because you've got to help people out. You've got to bust your butt. You've got to work extremely hard. Everybody in here, I know for a fact, the majority of us work extremely, extremely hard. You've got to put in your 40, 50 hours a week. But guess what? When you go home, it's time to play hard. What do I mean it's time to play hard? That means you put your phone down. I told a guy the other day, when I come through my door, I usually try my best to not be on my phone whenever I come home. That means on the phone with you, I'll probably say, hey, I'm at home, i got to let you go. And I try to put my phone down for a couple hours. Why? Because Esther's there and Emily's there, and Emily's been taking care of this tiny homo sapien for several hours by herself, amen. And so she's ready for a break. She's ready for me to tag in. So I try to really help her out the best I can. Now, there's some days I do a good job of that. There's some days I don't do a good job of that. And somebody told me, well, what if you have a call? What if it's emergency? I looked at him and I said, I'm not God. I'm not God, and neither are you. Somebody calls you and said, oh, it's emergency. There's nothing you can do. I hate to tell you this, but there's nothing you can do. But I tell you what you can do. You can be a good father. You can be a good mother. You can be a good husband. You can be a wife, and you can tag in and say, I'm here to help. Because that's when the real work begins when you get home. And let me tell you something. I don't know what it is. But your back don't hurt as bad when you get in the floor and play with your kids. I, it makes no sense to me how that works. Hey, you do everything else, your lower back hurts, but you get in the floor with your kids, roll around, you don't feel it at all. It's amazing how that works, but your kids never, ever forget that. They might be like, they're not going to be like, well, daddy, daddy worked all the time. No, they'll be like, no, daddy came home and he played with me. When he came home, he was ready to see me. I'm saying this to the dads more than the moms, because usually it's the moms who are doing everything else, and I wish you'd help, and you're standing over on your phone. Fantasy drafting, playing poker, playing everything else. And I'm telling you, you've got to put the phone down. Why? Because the phone's going to be with you for the rest of your life. Those kids are only going to be with you for a season. Be present with them. And then you rest hard. Rest hard. I'm a firm believer. Some of y'all might, this might offend some of you. I'm a firm believer that a TV shouldn't be in your bedroom. TV shouldn't be any better. And put your phone on the nightstand and plug it up and put it in a drawer and put it away from you. Why? Because that oftentimes robs you of the most precious time you have with your spouse. I was reading the book the other day in bed and Emily was doing a word search puzzle. She said, we need to talk. I thought, oh God, here we go. But I forget that that's good. Because I'd much rather her say we need to talk and we are talking than us just sit there like zombies for the next 40, 50 years looking at each other like we're dead. Because it's when your spouse doesn't want to talk to you more. That's when the drift happens. You can sleep two feet apart, but be an ocean apart. 
Work hard, play hard, rest hard. You rest. On vacation, you take a vacation. No phone, no calls, no emails. Some of you are like, I, am, I thrive on getting up in the morning and clearing my inbox out. Some of y'all need to get saved. You've got 10,000 emails. Go check them. You know who you are. Clean that bad boy out. Some of y'all thrive on that. But put your phone down. You can't change the world, Superman. I believe it was Mike Tyson who was flying somewhere in an airplane, and the stewardess said, Mr. Tyson, would you please sit down and put on a seatbelt? And he looked at her and said, ma'am, I am Superman. And the stewardess said, Superman don't need no plane. Put your seatbelt on. <laughs> a lot of truth to that. You're not Superman. You're not Superwoman. Rest. Rest. It's amazing how many people say, I can't rest, and their phone's like this before they go to sleep at night. I, don't, I can't go to sleep. So you go to the doctor, get some sleeping medicine, and you forget to tell them you've been staring at a light this close to your face for four hours. I don't know why I can't sleep, because you're worried about Becky and Joe, who are, not Becky, pick another name, amen, because Becky's here this morning, amen. Can't say Karen, can't say Becky, who am I going to say? <laughs> you're worried about, you know, the average Joe here or there, you're thinking, oh, they went and did this, they went and did that, put your phone down. Two hours before you go to bed tonight, put your phone down. I promise you'll sleep better. Play hard. I mean, work hard, play hard, rest hard. You might think, this is the easiest sermon you ever preached, Pastor Nick, because it's just truth in the text. It's in vain we do these things. It's in vain we do these things. Look what else he says here. I'm going to keep going with you real quick. Uh, skip on down to the last part here. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of warriors are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who is filled his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Children are a heritage. Guys, we live in a day and age where children are a burden. Where children are a burden. People treat them like a burden. And I'll be honest with you, some days I struggle with this. Emily, the other day, she said, every time you're with somebody, you want to hand Esther off. Because, I mean, I did it this morning. I'm preaching to myself. I came in this morning. I was doing a bunch of busy things. I, I saw her in her car seat. I got her up. I was walking around with her. And then I had to go do something. I said, yes, pow, hand off to Gandalf, amen. Because I struggle with this. But children are not a burden. They're a blessing. Because I hate to quote that theologian, uh, Trace Atkins, but you're going to miss this. You're going to want this back. Somebody told me something a long time ago that I'll never forget. He said, one day you will pick your daughter up for the very last time. That'd be it. They won't want you to pick them up anymore. You'll go to pick them up, and you know what they'll say? Don't pick me up. I don't want you to pick me up. And I'm, guys, let me tell you, there's, there are some days I'm holding out for. The last day I, I scrape a butt, amen? <laughs> I'm holding out with hope. That day's coming. But I also know there will come a day I'll miss that too. I miss the fumbling over in the, in the, in the, in the, in the kitchen at 2 a.m., hitting buttons on the microwave, praying it'll blow something up. And then you grab it, you shake it, you're thinking, I'm going. and you go in there and you try to find something wet to put it in. Because you are going to miss those days. Because it seems like you wake up the next day and they're different. There's more hair. There's an eyelash there. There's a, there's, there's a birthmark that just showed up out of nowhere. Because it just goes by so fast. And some of y'all told me it's going to get really fast. You have kids. I said, you're full of crap. But you were right. 
And that's why some of y'all, y'all got three or four of them. I'm thinking, are you even alive? Because it's just boom, 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 boom. Because it just goes by fast. But it's a gift. It is a gift of blessing. Look what that text says. I want to read to you one more time because I think it's so good. Children are a heritage. Your house is going to sell one of these days. If you sell it right now, you make a lot of money. But your house is going to sell someday. A new family is going to move in. They're going to look at all your remodel and think, they don't have no taste. These people, they have terrible taste. We're going to rip out everything they've done. Someday, guess what? That old car is going to break down. You're going to get rid of it. That van you put 100,000 miles on, you drove it to, to Wally World, amen, and back. Someday all that's going to be gone. Your clothes are going to wear out. If you're like some men I know, your shirts get shorter and shorter because you have a good dryer, but also because you eat more food. So it just keeps working up your belly, amen. Until you've got a crop top. You're going to lose your favorite pocket knife one day. Your belt's going to break. But those kids, guess what, are the only thing you leave behind. That's it. That is the only thing you leave behind. That's what the Bible says there, a heritage for the Lord. Their heritage. Because guess what? When you die, you die. All of you dies. We can try to preserve it as much as we can. You share your stories, you share your recipes, you do everything you possibly can, but when you die, you die with you. And the only thing you've got is you've had those years where you're pulling back an arrow. And I would argue it's not even 18 years. I would argue it's probably closer to 13 to 14 years. Because we all know when they get teenagers, they don't care nothing about what you say, and they go live the world, and they've got everything figured out, and they get their license. They're like, Mom and Dad are idiots. So you've really got about 13, 14 years pulling things back. And then you let go of them. And that's where a lot of people have struggles. Why? Because they're free, but you're also free. Because for the past 15 years or so, you've had this weight of being a parent and don't get me wrong i understand you're still a parent when they get older don't get me wrong I, but we we can all agree it's different and you see where they go you see what they do you see the dreams they accomplish you see what targets they actually hit because you can tell a lot about somebody by their children by the stock that comes up after them like the old saying goes, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. A lot of truth to that. So you might say, how are we going to change the world? You change the world, ladies and gentlemen, by being good moms and dads. You might think, no, it's voting Republican. No, it's voting Democrat. No, it's the White House. No, it's the Congress. It's the Supreme Court. You're missing it. You change community. You change the world by how you raise your kids. How you impact them. How you send them out. What they do and what they accomplish. Because here's the thing. I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to get too emotional with you because I'm going to get emotional about start talking about it. But I really, it hit me the other day like a ton of bricks. Esther was laying in her bed. I had her, we had her on the monitor. And I, 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 I watched This Is Us. If you haven't watched This Is Us, it wrecked me every time. <laughs> I watched This Is Us that morning, 
And I was, I was looking at this monitor, this little baby, and I was looking at, I was watching this, uh, so I was talking to Emily, and all of a sudden I started to cry. And I don't cry. If you don't know me, I'm not very emotional. I mean, Esther's wrecked me. She had, she wrecked me. She took my heart. <laughs> she did. She still does. But I was sitting there, and I looked at Emily, and she said, what's wrong with you? And I said, she will bury us. Like, it hit me, Don. It hit me like a ton of bricks. That she will put me in the ground. She will, if everything goes good, and I hope, pray God it does, that she will stand above me someday, and she will bury me. And what a weird, weird thing of life is, how weird that is. I just seen her born. I just, I'm taking care of everything. Literally, everything she needs, we take care of these days. But there will come a day where it will be reversed. Well, she will be wiping my butt. You laugh, but it's coming for you. Well, she'll be reminding you, hey, this is keys. These are keys. Well, she'll be bringing people in the room saying, hey, this is your son. This is... And you might laugh about it, but I'm telling you, this is a sad reality that most of us will face. And this is something we've got away from. If you did not know this, uh, prior to, I think, around the 50s and 40s is when it started happening, you used to have a room in your house called the parlor. This is going to blow some of y'all's minds. It's going to be like, what? This is, this is actually real. It was called the parlor. The parlor was a place, usually a smaller room. It usually had a fireplace in it. And this is a place, this is going to really surprise you, but when people died in your family, they would place them in the parlor. This is true. This is historically proven this is true. They would place them in the parlor, and people would come in. They would have the wake, they would have the viewing, they would have all that process around the, the deceased in your home. People would come over, they'd bring casseroles, they, would bring, they, they wouldn't go to a funeral home, literally they would come to your house, and that's where the dead would reside, and people would pay their respects. So at a very young age, you were very accustomed to people live, people, people are born, people live, people die, and we come around and we honor and respect them. Like some of you maybe grew up like I did, I grew up where your grandparents moved in with you at some point in your life. And it was always funny because you could get them to do about anything. And you laugh about it. You're like, oh, we got grandma to do something crazy. Because <laughs> grandma had no idea what she was doing, right? But you were very much acquainted with death and life, and you saw all of it right in front of you. And I, I got a point to this. I got a point to this because I want you to understand something. But around the, 30, around the 50s, around that time period, 40s, 50s, like many historians don't really know when it exactly happened, but we got rid of the parlor. This is really going to blow your mind. And we started calling that same space the living room the living room, and we started putting the dead in the funeral home, and because we wanted everybody to know, no, the home is just for the living, just for the living. And so in some ways, you could say, well, that's probably more sanitary. I'm not going to disagree with that. The thought of having a dead person on our coffee table, I'm thinking, ooh. But also, I think for us as people, we have gotten away from the reality that the tomb waits for all of us. You would even say in our culture, we have became the masters of death itself. Like we, we, we can conquer even death, and that's not even true. Because it waits for all of us. And so I say all this to you this morning. I say all this about children. I say all this about arrows. I say all this about unless the Lord does all this stuff. I want to promise you this reality, ladies and gentlemen. You are only given the breath you have today because God gave it to you. 
God gave it to you. And somewhere between the parlor and the living room, somewhere between the funeral home, somewhere between all of this stuff, we have tried to outsmart death, we've tried to outsmart the illness, we've tried to outsmart even God and think, we don't need him, we don't need him. When I'm here today, today, we desperately need him. We can't do anything without him. We can't do anything without him. And so this is why we have to make our days count, because you add your days up and they become a year, and you add your years up and they become a decade, you add your decades up and they become a life. But it's about those moments. It's about those 4th of July's and you wake up and your child poops all over you. And you're frustrated and mad, you've got poop on you and they've got poop on them, and you're waking your wife up, get up. Your child pooped. It's about those moments when you see one tooth popping through and you put your finger in there and rub their gums and you feel another one coming through. It's about those moments when they, they clap when they see you. It's about those moments when you look at your wife and you tell her to hold her just a little bit longer because she's getting to where she doesn't like you to hold her. It's about those moments. Because the reality of it is, ladies and gentlemen, as I begin to close here today with you, my last point, the greatest work you will ever do will be within the walls of your own home. That's the greatest work you ever do. You can be the most successful businessman that ever lived, but you fail at your home, you're a failure, in my opinion. I'm going to say it to you once, once again. That's very countercultural. But if you fail as a husband, you fail as a father, you fail as a wife, you fail as a mother, in my opinion, that's, it doesn't matter what you win. It doesn't matter how much money you've got, it doesn't matter how much prestige you've got, because your chief responsibility is to be a great husband, to be a great wife, is to be a great mother, is to be a great father. And we used to, we used to honor that as a culture. We used to honor that if a man did not do those things, he was not successful. No matter, you wouldn't buy from him if you understood what he was like at home. You'd say, I'm not going to buy from him. He's not a man of integrity. Because let me tell you something, integrity does matter. Integrity does matter. Sometimes whenever Emily uh, shares with people, she's a stay-at-home mom, they, you can't see it, but you can't see it. They're almost like, oh. And what they don't know is she does the hardest job of anybody. she got the most responsibility. But I, I told somebody a long time ago, I, I try to really bust my butt, do what I do, because I want to give our kids the greatest gift God ever, God ever gave me outside of Jesus, which was my wife. So I want to give them that. And that requires a lot of sacrifice. It requires a lot of hard work. But let me tell you something, it's worth it to us. Now you do what you want to in your house, but for us, it's worth it. Now we don't get to go on some of the nice vacations, Sometimes people bless us with an ice maker, amen. But for us, it's worth it. Because kids don't remember the Xbox, they don't remember the iPad. What they do is remember is mom and dad played with me. Mom and dad cared about me. Mom and dad were a team. Because children are that inheritance. And in the, the day, I want them to understand we've got a mission. 
This past spring, if you did not go, I mean not spring, early summer, one of the, one, in my opinion, one of the best movies I've seen in a long time at theaters, Top Gun Maverick. If you didn't go see it, you missed out. Top Gun Maverick, it still blows my mind that we can take off jets on an aircraft carrier and they can land on that same aircraft carrier with a bungee cord. Amen? That's what it looks like to me. They've got that bungee cord stretched tight and they hit that bungee cord, Donnie, and it slows that entire plane down where they can get out. and get, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And I've never served in the armed forces. I know that we've got some veterans in our church, but you know, I think about how we have some that served in the Navy, some do this, that. If you ever talk to a, sea, a sailor, you ever talk to a man who's a seaman or woman who grew up on that aircraft carrier from they served for several, several years, they will tell you that everybody on that aircraft carrier exists for those pilots. Everybody has a job. Oh, those pilots, that's their objective for the aircraft carrier is to take care of those pilots so the pilots can take those planes, go somewhere and do what they're supposed to do. So all 2,000 passengers have the same goal, have the same mission to make sure, guess what, they get the mission accomplished. They go through training, they do all this stuff, and you can even tell by the film itself when it's time to play hard, they play hard. They play hard, they do all kinds of games and fun things. Even on the military ships, they have a lot of fun and camaraderie. Why? Because they got the same mission. But I will tell you this, something I do know about, I don't know about an aircraft carrier, but I do know about a cruise. Because you've never been to a cruise or on a cruise before, you are missing out. Because you walk in there like you were somebody famous. You walk on there, they take your luggage, they put you in a room, you can eat whatever you want. You want, you want pizza, 3 o'clock in the morning, go get a pizza, 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, literally, it feels like every time, all around the ship, there's always something going on. I remember for our honeymoon, we laid in that cabana and did not move for like five hours. Just laid there. We even had a man, an old lady who would come around as our waiter and waitress, y'all need anything? Do you need anything? Do you need some? No, we're good. We wanted some ice cream, Donnie. I ate ice cream every time I walked on that deck. Didn't matter what time of day it was, get some ice cream. <laughs> ice cream, Lieutenant Dan. You know, I mean, I just go get ice cream. Didn't matter what time of day it was. And it seemed like everybody on that boat was having a good time. Everybody had a good time. Didn't matter what time of day it was, there was always something going on. Our cruise director, every morning, he'd go, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's a great day at sea. We're going to have fun today. And he would go, bam, 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 bam. And he was just like, please shut up. I'm trying to sleep. And guess what? If you wanted to sleep, you could just slip your thing on your door. they let you sleep. They wouldn't come in clean. It was, it was crazy. Nobody had a care in the world. Only about 50 to 150 people on that ship were doing their job. The rest of the thousands of us were just there like, hey, how are you? Have a great time. Have a great time. And I say that because I want to ask you this important question as we begin to close today. Do your kids really understand the mission that your family's after? Do they really understand that we are Christians? And our goal is to make the gospel known. Now, of course, we're going to have some fun. We're going to have camaraderie. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to do a lot of things that are fun. But at the end of the day, we have a goal. And our goal in this house is to honor Christ. Our goal in this house is to do things like Jesus commands us to do. And let me promise you, I'm not saying we should be a military facility. I'm not saying we should have all these rules and regulations. But what I am saying is there's a lot more Christians these days on the cruise and a lot less on the aircraft. And you can tell it from even our culture itself. Just do what feels good. Do what, do what, do what you want to have fun. 
People will say, I don't have time for the church. I don't have time to do these things. But they've got the same amount of time you've got. What they should say is, that's not a priority to me. And you might be like, I don't have time. Tomorrow I encourage you for 15-minute blocks, write down what you're doing every 15 minutes. You may tell you something also really humbling. Look at your screen time at the end of the week. We've all got time. The question is, are we riding that cruise boat, the USS fun? Or are we all about the Great Commission? Saying, I exist to make disciples. Because it should, should confuse our kids, shouldn't it? We bring them to church, then we go home fighting, cussing at each other. We bring them to church, then we miss church events because we go to everything else. Because the truth of the matter is, we're only telling our kids, church is only important to us when we have nothing else going on. That's when church is important to us. But if we have something else come up, that's more important than church is. And it should not surprise us when the arrow is far from the mark, which is far from our mark in life itself. Because here's the age-old truth of the saying. It's very, very true. Children watch what you do. They don't do what you say. They watch what you do. They do not do what you say. I could tell my children when they get older all day long, you need to respect your mother. But if I don't respect their mother, I'm wasting my breath. I could tell them all day long, you need to work hard. But if I'm a lazy bum who comes in and puts my feet up, hey, I'm wasting my breath. I could tell them all day long, I honor Christ. I live for Jesus. And I sing hymns in here, but I go out of here and I cuss and talk bad about people with the same mouth. I'm wasting my time. What you do matters, ladies and gentlemen. What you do matters. But something powerful happens when I do things God's way. You know what God does? God meets you in the middle. And God helps you accomplish great and mighty things when you do things God's way. But when you do things your way, you know what he'll let you do because he's a good father? He'll let you fall. He'll let you stumble and fall until finally say, I need you, Lord. I've messed it up really, really bad. Because unless the Lord builds a house, guess what? The labors, they labor in vain.